Last week we talked about how Paul had to confront Peter because Peter reverted back to the law. So Peter would go from grace to the law to grace to the law depending upon who he was around because Peter craved the acceptance of his religious leaders. So when he was with Paul, he was full of grace and he related to God through the cross. When he was with the Judaizers and the Pharisees and the men from Jerusalem, he would relate to God through the law. Because he craved the acceptance of people. And we talked about as long as we crave the acceptance of our religious leaders or whoever the leaders may be in our lives, if I crave their acceptance, then the likelihood of me communicating the gospel will be slim. Because so many of our religious leaders don't communicate the fullness of the gospel. It's mixed with law and grace, which was what was happening in Galatia. So Paul was trying to, to get the church to go back to grace from law, relating to God through Christ and what he did on the cross and not through the law of Moses. So after Paul confronts Peter, he he finishes with the statement, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. That's Galatians 2.21. The Galatian church had set aside grace in favor of the law. They had set aside faith alone, and now it was all works. It was trying and not trusting behaving and not believing he gives that example with peter because what peter did the galatians did too so that's why he puts that example in galatians chapter 2 and then he comes to galatians 3 and he says uh you foolish galatians who bewitched you who tricked you he said i know who tricked peter and just like peter was bewitched and just like peter was tricked you've been bewitched you've been tricked these religious magicians came into Galatia and they made grace disappear. And when they made grace disappear, you were so captivated by their religious magicians, you know, making the cross disappear and making the works of man appear or the religious works of man appear. They didn't even realize that grace had disappeared. They were just astonished by what these guys were doing. That can happen so easily for us. Moving from grace to law can be extremely subtle. We, we can move from a, a grace-based relationship with God to a law-based relationship with God and never even know that it happened based upon what we're hearing continually from Bible teachers. And what we're hearing from Bible teachers, we'll begin listening and it'll, it'll go into our ears and it'll go into our hearts and we'll subtly begin relating to God based upon what we're hearing from them. And we won't even know it. Grace will disappear. So Paul says, you foolish Galatians, meaning you you stop thinking. You put your brain on a shelf. And we talked about last week that the, the gospel is logical. It's extremely logical. If Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins, it only makes sense that when we receive Christ, we receive the fullness of the forgiveness of which he died for. So now we don't spend the rest of our lives asking for forgiveness because we've already received the forgiveness that he's given us completely. So now we rest in the finality of forgiveness. And once we rest in the finality of forgiveness, then I can move on into the relationship with God as Father, which is where Paul's leading in in Galatians. But as long as I'm trying to stay forgiven, get forgiven, wondering if I'm right or not with God, have I done enough, or I forgot to do this today, so I don't feel good about my relationship with God. As long as I'm relating to God based upon me, I can never move on to this loving relationship that he has for us. So... Paul's trying to get the Galatians to think logically about the gospel. You foolish Galatians, 
Who bewitched you? Who tricked you? Who cast a legalistic spell upon you? And then he says this. He says, Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified before your very eyes. Why does Paul say that? Because when Paul went into Galatia, see, none of these people saw Jesus die on the cross. Paul had to portray that. Paul had to communicate that to them. What was the cross like? What happened at the cross? And Paul very clearly communicated and portrayed before them Jesus' death on the cross. And I can see Paul before the Galatians with his hands stretched out saying that the Romans took the nails and they they nailed one in this hand and one in that hand and they nailed uh, one in his feet and a sword was jabbed into his side and crown of thorns were placed upon his head and blood was just pouring from his body. He did this, Christ went to the cross to pay our sin penalty. And the graphic nature of what happened at the cross is, is a symbolic picture of the graphic nature of sin and Christ dying for us on the cross. And Paul is saying, you at one time saw the cross of Christ and the blood of Christ as the means by which you related to God. That it was only by the cross that you were forgiven. It was only by the cross that you're righteous. It's only by the cross that you're accepted by God. And you went from living in faith of what Christ did for you at the cross, Galatians, and now you've gone back to works of the law. That you now think your acceptance with God is achieved by what you do every day. That forgiveness is maintained by your constant confession of sins. That you're trying to maintain what was one time freely and fully obtained by you through faith. So what we receive by faith, we don't maintain by works. And that happens with us in Christianity so much. Somebody comes to faith in Christ, receive forgiveness, and we, it's full of joy that, hey, all your sins are forgiven. And then we turn, turn around and tell people, but you need to keep asking for forgiveness. Logically, that doesn't make sense. That's what Paul is telling the Galatians. Well, I thought you told me Sunday morning that all my sins were forgiven, but Sunday night you're now telling me I need to keep asking for forgiveness. Which one is it? You told me that the cross was enough Sunday morning, but you're telling me Sunday night that the cross isn't enough. And so now we kind of live between the cross, what Christ did in our works, to try to maintain what he did when what he did is freely given to us by faith, or by God and received by faith. So Paul moves into this living by faith. Because they'd gone back to works. I went back to works as a believer. I was trying to stay right with God. I was trying to maintain my forgiveness. I was trying to maintain fellowship with God. I was trying to do all these things, and I'd moved away from the cross. But I let somebody move me away from the cross. And then when I began to see the gospel, it's like, no, I'm going to go back to the cross, and I'm going to stay at the cross, and I'm going to relate to God based upon what Christ did for me at the cross. And that's freedom. So we open up now Galatians 3, 2 through 4. And Paul asks a question. He he asks a lot of questions starting in, in chapter 3. He says, I would like to learn just one thing from you, Galatians. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? This mimics Romans chapter 10 when Paul's talking about the gospel. Here he's talking about the Spirit. 
Romans 10, he's talking about the gospel. This, the Spirit is part of the gospel, Christ in us. And notice the words that he used. Did you receive the Spirit? The gospel is a gospel of receiving. It's not a gospel of achieving. It's not a gospel of obtaining. It's not a gospel of maintaining. It's not a gospel of works. It's not a gospel of effort. Because if it's any of those, then it's not the gospel. That's why Paul writes Galatians, because they had deserted the gospel. The gospel is about us receiving what Christ achieved for us. So the crucifixion of Christ has achieved for us eternal forgiveness. And the resurrection of Christ has achieved for us eternal life. We contribute nothing to those. We receive by faith the eternal forgiveness that he's secured for us. We receive by faith the eternal life that he's secured for us through the resurrection. And we're in eternal fellowship because Christ lives in us. For you and I to be out of fellowship with God, it means Christ in you has to be out of fellowship with God. And Christ in you is never going to be out of fellowship with God. And we relate to God based upon what Christ has done for us. So for, for me to be out of fellowship with God, it means that the, Christ is not sufficient in maintaining fellowship with God for me. And most believers try to maintain fellowship with God, which means they've switched from living by Christ in you and what Christ has done for you to what I have to do. All right, so, so the gospel is really powerful, and it's one of receiving Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? When we hear the truths of the gospel, Paul talks about it in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. He talks about it in Romans 10. When people hear the truth of the gospel, the only response for us when we hear the gospel is faith. That's our response. It's faith. It's trust. It's belief. So he's asking them a question. When the Holy Spirit showed up in Galatia, when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the, the, the Gentiles in uh, Acts chapter 10, when the Holy Spirit showed up in Acts 14 in Galatia, and the Holy Spirit began to do miracles among you in Galatia, did the Holy Spirit do miracles among you because you obeyed the law? Or did the Holy Spirit do miracles among you simply because you had faith in Christ? He's trying to convince people it's not your works. Your works contribute nothing. Your efforts contribute nothing. Your, your trying contributes nothing. It's once we hear the truth, we then believe the truth. We have faith. And that's, that's what he's saying here. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Have you quit thinking about the logic of, of the gospel? Now notice this, after starting in the spirit, are you now finishing in the flesh? So the question is, starting what? They started a relationship with God through the spirit of Christ in them. Remember what Paul said in Galatians 2.20, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And we find out in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, that, that the spirit in us is the spirit of Christ, So he's saying, after starting relating to God based upon Christ in you and what Christ has done for you at the cross, have you now switched back to self-effort to try to grow yourself spiritually? Have you switched back to works, to the flesh, 
to try to grow spiritually, which is probably most discipleship programs that I've ever been involved in. It's if you want to grow, here's the five things you need to do every day. And I've seen them presented in growth, spiritual growth classes at churches or growth track classes, which is pretty popular. And they'll give you five things. And they'll have a hand sometimes. I hope you all have seen that. If you want to grow, pray every day. Read your Bible every day. Be in a group. Make sure all your sins are confessed so you can stay in fellowship. Now we've removed growth in the Christian life from what Christ and what he's done. And we've kind of put that on a shelf. And now it's me and what I do every day. We know lots of people who pray every day and have never grown. We know lots of people who read their Bible every day and have never grown. There are spiritual infants who have been Christians for 30, 40, 50 years who've read their Bible every day, prayed every day, confessed their sins every day, witnessed, but are still spiritually immature because spiritual maturity doesn't come by me practicing a set of spiritual disciplines. Spiritual maturity comes when I have the revelation of the spirit of spiritual truth. Spiritual truth produces transformation, not spiritual disciplines. I thought spiritual disciplines did. But when I began seeing the truths of the cross, the truths of what Christ did for me, I began to grow in my relationship with God for the first time. Do I, did I still pray? Yes. Did I, do I enjoy reading my Bible? I do. But those aren't necessary for growth as we think they are. Growth, the question is this, when the early church was in existence, they had no Bibles. We've got five, six, seven, eight Bibles sitting around the house, right? They had zero Bibles. So if spiritual growth is related to me reading the Bible, then the early church could have never grown spiritually, right? What grew the early church spiritually? If you got your Bible, look at Colossians real quick. Chapter 1. And this is where I want us to see that it's spiritual truth that brings about transformation, not spiritual disciplines. Now, notice in chapter 1, Paul's writing to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Now, Paul prayed, but Paul was the person more rooted in grace than anybody. But he didn't go around telling people to pray. He did say, hey, Colossians, be devoted to one another in prayer. As you pray, remember to pray for each other. But Paul never said, make sure you pray every day. Make sure you read scripture every day. You can't find that there in any of Paul's teachings to the body of Christ. But he prayed. You don't have to teach people to pray. I mean, people pray. I don't have to make it legalistic. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love you have for all the saints. So faith produces love. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven, that you have already heard about in the word of truth. So faith produces love, and it produces hope, and we see that this faith and hope comes from the word of truth, right? So what produced faith? And what produced hope and what produced love in these Colossian people? Truth. Spiritual truth 
And faith is the belief in spiritual truth. I believe the truth, and when we believe the truth, it produces hope and love, the word of truth. The gospel. Now he's saying, all right, the word of truth is the gospel. So the gospel is a body of truth for the body of Christ. The greatest need of the body of Christ is to understand the body of truth contained in the gospel. And to relate to God through this body of truth every day of our lives. And never set it on a shelf. And start trying in and of ourselves to grow. So you have already heard about in the word of truth the gospel that has come to you. Now notice what this gospel, what this word of truth is doing in them. All over the world, this gospel, this word of truth that produces hope, that produces love, that's received by faith, is bearing fruit and growing. So now we see that the word of truth, the gospel, that they receive by faith, that produced hope and love, is also producing fruit from within them. There's no effort on their part. There's no trying on their part. There's no, I've got to grow in Christ and I've got to do these five things that are, on, you know, they show me in class. Paul taught the gospel. And they received it by faith and it produced hope and love and it produced fruit all over the world. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. So now that we, now we see the gospel produces growth, produces hope, produces love produces fruit. That's, that's the hand we need in these classes. That's what we need in the classes is we need the gospel, and here's what the gospel produces. Faith. It produces hope, love, growth, fruit. We're not trying to get people to do things to grow. We're trying to teach people truth that produces growth, and that's a big shift in so many discipleship models. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it, and here's the key, and understood God's grace in all its truth. When a believer understands grace in all of its truth, it transforms the heart of the believer. It produces growth in the heart of the believer. So my job as a teacher is not to try to get you to pray more. My job is not to try to get you to read your Bible more, or to have quiet times and have daily devotions my job is to communicate to the body of Christ the body of truth of the gospel. And since 1990, as I've been able to communicate the body of truth of the gospel to the body of Christ, I've literally watched in classes like this, the Holy Spirit begin to grow people as they sit in class. They begin growing from the inside out. Hope rises up within them. Faith rises up within them. Fruit begins to be developed, and they're just sitting. They're all, what are they doing? They're hearing, which is what Paul's talking about in Galatians. They're listening to truth, and by faith they're believing it, and then the Holy Spirit begins producing in them what they could have never done themselves by trying to grow. So we see that. So here's how this finishes. Colossians, you learned about God's grace and all of its truth from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who told us of your love in the Spirit. So it was the Spirit of Christ in the Colossians that took the truths of the gospel of grace, 
transform the hearts of the people who heard the gospel in its fullness and produce from within them something you and I could have never worked for to make happen anyway, and it's love. It's love. And a person who's living in love doesn't need a law. That's why we don't need the Ten Commandments as believers. If I love you, I won't murder you, right? If I love you, I won't lie to you. If I love my wife, I won't commit adultery. But the fruit of the Spirit is so much greater than not doing these things. The fruit of the Spirit is, if I love you, I'll be kind to you. The Pharisees loved the fact that they didn't commit adultery on their wives, but they weren't nice to their wives at home. See, the law can get us looking good on the outside, but the Spirit of Christ transforms us on the inside. So the Spirit of Christ produces in us patience and kindness and gentleness. And against such things there is no law, Paul says in Galatians 5. We'll look at that later. So I say all that to say the Spirit grows us when we hear and understand the gospel. Let's look at this in Scripture, how this works out. So Paul's principle here is we don't receive the Spirit of Christ by works. God doesn't send the Spirit of Christ in us because of something we've done. God initiates everything. That's grace, and faith receives what God has has initiated. So we don't receive the Spirit of Christ by works. That's flesh or law or performance, but by faith. Nor do we grow spiritually through works. Rather, the Spirit grows us as we hear and believe the good news of God's grace. An example of that is what we just looked at in Colossians chapter 1, 3 through 8. All right. So let's take a look at the Spirit-filled life or the Spirit-led life. That's a term that's used a lot in many different denominations. And depending on what denomination we're with or what organization, everybody kind of has their own view of the Spirit-filled life. And I want us to to look in Scripture. What's the Scripture view of the Spirit-filled life? Paul really gives it to us in Galatians, but we're going to look at some more scriptures. So the Spirit-led life is, number one, the Spirit of Christ enters our hearts when we believe. Galatians 4, 4 through 6. But when the time had fully come, God sent his Son, that's Jesus, born of a woman, that's Mary, born under the law. That means the entire time Jesus was alive, he was under the law of Moses. Grace had not come yet. And Jesus came to redeem those under the law. Jesus came to set us free from a performance, from effort, from works, from trying. Because those things are doomed for failure. In its context, he came to set the Jewish people free from the law of Moses. So what was put into place in Exodus 19 and runs through the end of Leviticus and then given again in Deuteronomy. That's all come to an end. Jesus came to set people free from the law. Okay. He came to set us free from trying to achieve something and maintain something and obtain something and work and effort. He came to set us free from that. That's what redeem means, to set free. That we might receive our adoptions as sons, that's a mature relationship with God. Sons and daughters, mature. Grace produces maturity. Law is for babies, right? Don't do this, don't do this, stop going there, you can't go here. Law is for babies and infants. And Paul gets into this in Romans 4 or Galatians 4. We'll look at that. Grace, the cross, produces sons and daughters. Law produces babies and infants and toddlers. And so as long as my mindset with God is one of 
performance and achievement and obtaining and trying and effort, then I'm just the infant. But God wants me to move over to grace. So I relate to him as a son and daughter. It's relationship. And you are sons and daughters. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The moment you became a believer in Christ, the moment you placed your faith in Christ, God did something that you and I didn't ask him to do. He sent Christ to live in you. I may have not have known it at that time. I may have not have been aware of it at that time. I certainly didn't do anything. I didn't ask him to do that, nor did I ask him to go to the cross and die for my sins. And I didn't ask him to send the Holy Spirit. Sadly, in, in some churches, they're constantly asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come. And I've been at churches when, over the past seven years, once I you know, stopped pastoring for a while, and I was visiting other churches, and, and the music was, oh, Holy Spirit, come. Oh, Holy Spirit, come and do something powerful. And they're begging the Holy Spirit to come and do something powerful and show your power like you used to. And they've been praying that same prayer since the 1970s. And it's a man that I know. And my heart breaks for him. And he's begging God to do something in his church. And I'm wanting to say, God's already done everything he's going to do. And he did it in Christ. And the Holy Spirit's in us. And I want to share with him, if you'll concentrate on the gospel, if you'll communicate the gospel, you will see the Holy Spirit do things in the hearts of people that your begging and pleading hasn't been able to do for 30 years. And so it's, the gospel is where the power of God is. And we can't worship God into the Holy Spirit coming to do something powerful among us. That's the whole approach is, is not a biblical approach that we see in Scripture. So the Spirit of Christ enters our hearts when we believe. Number two, the Spirit of Christ leads us to the finished work of Jesus and not to the works of the flesh or law. When Jesus was with his disciples, he knew he was about to go to the cross, and he begins teaching them about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he says, when the advocate comes, the one who's for you, the one who's on your side, the Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth. So the Spirit's going to guide us into truth. Remember what Jesus said? The Spirit will guide you into all truth. The Spirit's ministry is still the same today. He wants to guide us into the truth of the gospel of grace. So it says here that the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So the ministry of the Spirit is to testify about Jesus. Well, what about Jesus is the ministry of the Spirit wanting to testify about? He wants people to understand what Jesus was doing hanging on a cross. And not only what he was doing hanging on a cross, but how his hanging on the cross transforms our lives and impacts our lives. So the Spirit is not going to point people to the law of Moses. And the Spirit is not going to point people to a legalistic lifestyle of trying to relate to God. The Spirit is always going to point us to the finality of the cross, the reality of the resurrection, and the ministry of Christ in us. That's who the Spirit is going to. The Spirit is not going to point me to, hey, Brad, keep asking for forgiveness. Keep asking for forgiveness. Stay in fellowship. You know, make sure you read your Bible today so you're not out of fellowship with God and so you can grow. Make sure you pray so you can know God better. 
Now, the Spirit is always going to point us to the person and the work of Christ. And when, when that begins to happen, transformation begins to happen. And for the first, what I've seen with people is they'll start, people have been reading their Bibles for years and really haven't grown any. For the first time, they'll be able to go into Scripture because somebody's taught it to them. And they're like, whoa, how did I miss this for the past 20 years? I missed this for 20 years. But now that I'm hearing somebody teach Scripture, I'm growing. Because it's, it's not reading Scripture that transforms our lives. It's the truth of Scripture in context that transform our lives. I was with some people the other day. Their heart's broken for America. And they want to see America rescued by God. So they begin praying 2 Chronicles 7.14. God, you say in Scripture, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, then you will hear us from heaven, and then you will forgive our sins, and then you will heal our land. And God, we hear, we're so sorry about our evil ways. And we're crying out to you to, to forgive us of our sins and to hear our prayers and to heal our nation. And I'm like wanting to say, no, 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 no. You're stuck in the old covenant. You're stuck in the law of Moses. That is a prayer specifically for the people of Israel back during this time who had rebelled to the law of Moses. Their nation and their country was, was in a mess. And God promised them in Scripture that when you find yourself in this condition, if you turn to me and repent, I will heal the nation of Israel. I will heal the land of Israel. That's not our Scripture. The healing for America will come when believers stop praying for God to forgive us and, oh, God, we're sorry. And the healing of America will come when we start speaking the truths of the gospel to people. Because the truths of the gospel heal the human heart. And really, a nation can't be healed until a heart is healed. So I'm trying to ask God to heal this nation when in reality, God's asking me, hey, Brad, walk across the street and share the good news of grace with that person. And bring healing to their house. You're forgiven. You're righteous. You're in fellowship. Christ lives in you. God is your father. You don't have to beg about anything. Just share the good news with people around you. And watch what happens in the hearts of people when you share the good news. Healing begins to come. See, that, that's why we've got to rightly divide scripture. What's for us, the body of Christ? What's for Israel? The old covenant is second. Chronicles, Jesus said when he went to the cross, he said, this is the new covenant given in what? In my blood. Jesus put in a new covenant. So most of the body of Christ is mixing the old covenant and the new covenant together, which is a covenant that God never created. And we're relating to God based upon a mixture of covenants that he never created. When God says, let the old covenant go, you're living in the new covenant. You're living in grace. You're living from the cross. You are forgiven. You are sons. So it's really important. That's why, you know, my desire is not to try to get people to read the Bible. I want people to understand the Bible that they're reading. And they'll do it. I don't have to say, hey, go read your Bible. It's like, oh, my gosh, I've never seen this. I've never heard this before. I've got to go check it out in my Bible. And that's what I tell people to do. Don't believe a word that I'm saying. I always tell people that. Y'all have heard me say that. Always take what I say to Scripture and let Scripture Compare my words with the words of Scripture as you rightly divide it, as you study it within the context that Scripture 
teaches us to do. So the Spirit is always going to lead us to Jesus. Paul says this in Galatians 5.18, But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. So what does this mean? The Spirit of Christ is not going to lead us to the law of Moses because it was the death of Jesus that redeemed people from the law. Remember the verse we just read? God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem from the law. So the Spirit is not going to lead me back to the law that the blood of Jesus set us free from. Then they'd be working against each other. The Spirit is not going to lead us to a legalistic, performance-based relationship with God. Other people will. Other Bible teachers will. Devotions may very well do that sometimes. The Spirit is always going to lead us to the finality of the cross and the fullness of the cross and the freedom of the cross. And then our lives will begin to change. 